0: Our New Testament passage today picks up in Revelation chapter 8. Now, yesterday you continued working, and Saturday you continued working on these seals that the Lamb that was worthy began to open. And each one of these seals brought more judgment. But I want you to notice, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Now, seven is God's number. It's the number of completion. When the seventh seal was opened, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Can you imagine why? What does it take to silence heaven for half an hour? That all of heaven just stops and is silent. When you begin to see the judgment that comes forth now, you begin to understand Heaven has never seen anything like this. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and the seven trumpets were given to them. So there are seven angels who stand. That is their place. They are the trumpeters. They stand before God. And seven trumpets were given to them. Then another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. Notice, much incense. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Now, he's he's speaking in a way that maybe humanly we can understand it, but I want you to get the picture in your mind. As this seventh seal is open, this one great angel comes, with this beautiful giant golden censer. And there's billows and clouds of incense coming up. And the prayers of the saints are coming up with that incense before God. All of the prayers, prayers since eternity past, all of the prayers of the saints are coming up before God. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it on the earth fire from the altar. And there were peals, thunders, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail, fire, mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was gone up. So this is the destruction of vegetation. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. Now we have the sea. Notice a third of the sea. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So all right, one third of sea and all in it. One third of land and all on it. A third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood, and a third of the waters became wordwood, and many people died from the water because he had made it bitter. So one-third of all fresh water. A fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining. Likewise, a third of the night. All right, so now we have one-third of all light, day and night. One-third of all the light is gone. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew overhead. Woe, woe to those who dwell in the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. All right, so it's about to get worse. Now, there's nothing fun about reading this. There's nothing enjoyable about reading this. You are reading about the Great Tribulation, and that at this point in time, one-third of everything on the land is burned up. All the food supplies, one-third of all the food supplies are gone. And then one-third of the sea is destroyed, and all the ships in it on one-third of the sea, and every living creature in one-third of the sea is gone. So again, one-third of the food supply is gone. And then we have one-third of all the fresh water on earth destroyed. And people die from drinking the other water. You, you cannot, with all of man's technology, you cannot purify this water. The water that God made bitter, it cannot be purified. And then one third of all the light. Can you imagine if all of a sudden the day becomes one third shorter? Now for us in the Philippines, our daylight is about 12 hours. So you take a third of the daylight off. Wow. Now, I think of other places like Indianapolis where Uncle Lester lived. There are times that it doesn't get light outside in the morning until 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock in the morning. And then it's dark again by 4 o'clock. So can you imagine you've only got like seven hours of light and then one third of that is gone? And then at nighttime, even at night, one third of the light is gone. Now, brothers and sisters, you have to understand darkness is one of the most oppressive things for a human being. We, we were born for light, we were created for light, we are creatures of the light. So, if all of this judgment, honestly, I, I look upon, and it seems to be growing in intensity, and I look upon the loss of light as maybe the strongest one of those judgments yet, darkness, the, the suffering, the discouragement, the, the pressing, the of darkness. When people talk about going through the great tribulation, that is not something I would ever want to consider. Aren't you glad for the grace of God? Are you not glad that you and I have been not appointed under wrath? But God is a God of judgment. And sometimes when you read this, you wonder, well, where's the God of grace right where he always is? He's never changed. This is upon men who have rejected all that he has offered to them. All right, let's open up our hearts and worship him who is worthy.
1: from the life of emptiness. you. They...
0: Testament passage today picks up in Amos chapter 8, verse 1. This is what the Lord showed me. He said, Now, this is something God showed me. He said, Behold, get my pen are working. He showed me, Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? God asked us, well, What do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I shall never again pass by them. Uh, You know, I look at that and I put a big question mark and a big wow with an exclamation part. This is the destruction of Israel prophesied. This is a sad thing. He said, the songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day. There's not going to be any more joy, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Hear this. He said, there's something I want you to hear. Please, brothers and sisters, don't ever take advantage of people because they're poor. Don't ever take advantage of people because they're poor. Now, you've got to understand, in business, people take advantage of the poor. So how do they do that, Pastor? They charge more. No, they don't, Pastor. Yes, they do. Now, please forgive me, but poor people don't have a lot of money. So they have to buy what I call sachets. They have to have a sachet mentality. They don't buy a bottle of um, soap for their hair. They buy a sachet. They don't buy a, a bottle of mayonnaise to make sandwiches with at home. They they buy a sachet. They don't buy a kilo of pork. They buy two little pieces of pork. They buy in very small quantities. And have you ever noticed that the stores that sell, oftentimes they call it convenience stores, but usually these convenience stores are among the areas where people are poor. Now, I don't mind if people put a convenience store in a five-star hotel or on Ayala Avenue. You know, people there can afford convenience prices. But in the poor areas of town, people charge extra. Don't, don't trample on the Navy. How about churches that charge 700 to 1,000 pesos to water-baptize people or charge them to attend a seminar? That's trampling on the needy. Verse 5, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? In other words, we want to do business. And the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale? That we may make an FF small and a shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances? Now, okay. These people here, they want to do business and they want to commit what we call estafa. They want to make extra money off people. They want unfair balances. They want want the kickbacks. They want to deal deceitfully. You know, it's very hard when you you think people are being honest with you and they really got deceitful balances okay, we're going to charge you this much, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm giving this much to your friend. Uh, no. Folks, I, you know, this return to sender stuff that's become such a part of our culture, it's just wrong. It's, it's dealing deceitfully. That we may buy the poor for silver, and I notice the purpose of business. The purpose of business, buy the poor, buy the needy, Sell the chaff of the wheat. (laughs) The chaff is worthless. Okay. So the, the, the purpose of their business is to take advantage of people and to get more for themselves. That's not right. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will not forget any of their deeds. I won't forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord, when I make the sun go down at noon and darken the sky at broad daylight, I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. Now, this isn't baldness like me, okay? This is shaved. This is shaved heads. This is part of their mourning. And I will make it like mourning for the only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Now, focus on this lamentation here for a minute. More and more Christian music I hear today is sad. It's a lament. And sad songs are meant to manipulate people's hearts. So how do you know that, Pastor? <laughs> Folks, I didn't grow Christian. Anybody who didn't grow up Christian who lived in the southern United States knows the reason they play sad country music songs in a bar. If it's a sad environment, people drink more. They spend more. This is why people put sad pictures of big-bellied babies when they're trying to raise money for Feed the Hungry and things like that. Have you ever noticed we never do that? We We show you the kids being healthy. One person came in and they saw some of our pictures and we were giving things to people and they said, you know, you, you need to show the, the, the poverty of the people more. No, no, we want to leave them their dignity, but let's show what we're able to accomplish. Let's, let's not eat, manipulate people's hearts with sadness. And, and so much of the Christian music today is just like old country music, Western, country Western music, everything is sad. Oh, my life's so sad, but God is with me. Oh, I'm going to do the will of God, but it's so sad. Excuse me. The sound of God is joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. So, you know, I I don't like these people who just sit around with a guitar and they get on, you know, YouTube or whatever, and they, they sing these sad songs and everybody just sits around and feels real mellow and sad, that's not the sound of God. God's sound is happy, it's joyful. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread or or thirst of water, and here's a big one, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Why? Because there's a famine for the word. You know, it's it's interesting in these days that we're living in, how many churches don't teach the Bible anymore? You know, they might stand up and quote a verse and make a few comments, but, you know, well, basically they don't teach the word. They, they don't feed the people. Do you remember all the teaching we did about uh, Peter coming back to his life of service and ministry? Jesus said, "Feed my sheep, tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. You don't feed people dribble. You feed people the meat of the word of God. And more and more today, we're seeing a famine, and we've seen it throughout history, in between the waves of revival. We we've seen a famine for the word of God. I think." I think in my studies, the, the worst I've ever heard it get would be during the Dark Ages, the medieval period in Europe, when literally the preachers would stand up and preach a sermon on the proper way for a man to comb his hair. Seriously, I read the sermon years ago. The proper way for a man to comb his hair. Sermons today are full of politics. Sermons today are full of nationalism. Sermons today are full of self-righteous bigotry. But not the word of God. Now, then you find at the end of the the Dark Ages, you see these great revivals breaking out. And and you you see men coming along like Finney and Westfield and Whitfield. And and you see men coming along, the, the Wesley brothers. And you see Martin Luther coming along with salvation by grace. And they stood up and they taught the word of God. Now, pastors, hear me. I, I know, like there was a preacher who told Sister Bev and I one time, you know, I was always taught in seminary not to bore people with the Bible. I didn't know that the Bible was boring. Hear me. If you're a young pastor, study to show yourself approved. Dig into the Word of God. Don't just get something off Great God Google. Get on your knees and dig out the Word of God. And when the people come into your church, have a buffet for them. Have a, a full course meal for the people of God. That's how they will grow and that's how they will learn to serve God. In that day, the lovely virgins and young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, as the way of Bersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. Now there's another wow. The altar where the sacrifices are made. These are the gifts of of the people brought to God. And he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of the people and those who are left of them I will kill with the sword that none of them shall flee away and none of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, from there my hand shall take them. If they climb up to the heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I will search them out and take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent, and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword, and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Whoa. Now, now folks, this this is... God stands there where people worship him, and he pronounces judgment upon them. Now, I want you just to understand that. God stands there where people worship him. He's standing beside the altar and pronounces judgment on them. Now, these people had pushed God really hard. God is slow to anger, but you, you can get him mad when you really push him. But I don't recommend it. Because when you finally make him mad it's not nice he said i will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good now in my short life i've seen people that god fixed his lives fixed his eyes on them for evil it's not nice I said pastor why would god do that well for instance when god says when you return evil for good evil will never depart from your house god's eye is not on that house to bless it god's eye is on that house for evil because they paid back evil for good that people did to them. The God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell on it mourn. And all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile. Now, please, in the ancient days before there were dams, the Nile River flooded every year, went over its banks and fertilized the ground all along the side and then went back down. But you, you didn't You didn't build anything near the banks of the Nile because everything was devastated every year. And God said, listen, I want you to understand. The Lord who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell on it mourn. He said, all of this is going to rise like the Nile and it's going to sink again like the Nile. Who builds his upper chambers in the heaven and founds his vault upon the earth. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. He said, are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? Now, here's the Cushites, people of Cush. Did I not bring Israel up from the land of Israel, of Egypt? Okay, so Israel came from Egypt. The Philistines from Cathor, And the Syrians from Kir. So just like God brought Israel from Egypt and gave them a land, God brought the Philistines from Cathor and gave them a land, and the Syrians from Kir and gave them a land. God God gave every nation his land. Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except, and here's a big one, that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. Why? This is the doctrine of the remnant. God, say, why does God leave a remnant, pastor? Because God has promises to fulfill. He said, for I will behold, I will shake the house of Israel among the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the ground. For all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake us. And in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. So he's going to raise it up, repair its breaches, raise up its ruins, rebuild it as in the days of old. This is the remnant. God always has a remnant. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. God said, I'm the guy who rebuilds the remnant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. And the mountain shall drip with new wine, and the hills shall overflow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant the vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat on them. I will plant them on the, I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, declares the Lord. Now there's tremendous truth in here. First of all, notice the doctrine of the remnant. There are even families that God brings judgment upon today. And upon that family, one one member of the family will be spared. Why? Because God made promises to that family, to a grandmother, to a great-grandfather in the past. And God will bring blessing upon that remnant because of the promises he made. See, God doesn't break his promises. God keeps his covenant. This is why there's always a remnant. If destruction comes upon a family, there's a remnant. Destruction comes upon a nation, there's a remnant. Destruction comes upon a church, there's always a remnant. He said, I will restore the fortunes of the people of Israel. So notice, these are the things that God does, okay? God does. In times of restoration, God does this. We do rebuild, inhabit, plant, make gardens. Okay, that's what we do. God said, I will restore the fortunes, but they are to rebuild. They are to rebuild and inhabit. They are to plant vineyards, drink their wines, plant gardens and others. They need to do business again because they were agricultural in the agricultural business. They need to do business again and eat their fruit now. Eat their fruit. I want you to notice this is a strategy of investment in restoration. I want you to notice plant vineyards, this is long-term. Gardens, this is short-term. See, you you can't only have long-term investments. In a time of restoration... You need quick returns to eat. And you need long-term investments to sustain the family. So in a time of restoration, we rebuild the ruined cities, and we live in them. And we make long-term investments, and we make short-term investments. Now, what is God going to do? God said, I'll restore the fortunes. And God said, I will plant them on the land. He said, and I'm going to establish them there. He said, I'm a plant and make permanent. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful truth today. All right. We'll see you tonight. We've got service again, starting at seven o'clock. We'll see you then as we get back into the book of Romans.